0: Hello everybody. Welcome back to the D one softball podcast. I'm your host this week, Tara Henry, the D one softball podcast sponsored by S two cognition. Can't say thank you enough to our friends at S two cognition for sponsoring the D one softball podcast. And I'm excited this week to be joined by somebody that's going to answer a lot of questions for me. I know I have a ton, uh, Jody Sykes, uh, university of Oregon, uh, senior associate athletic director uh and compliance officer jody thank you so much for joining me this week on the d1 softball podcast
1: my pleasure tara thanks for having me
0: and it is spooky i don't know if you guys can see our name tags but it's uh we're getting close to halloween (laughs) so we'll have a little bit of a halloween theme this week but first and foremost i want to start off with jody uh golfer at montana uh and has been all over let me see uh masters at arkansas Stops at Louisville, at Pitt, at Robert Morris, uh, and now at Oregon uh, since 2013. Jody, uh, give me a little bit of background and touch on a little bit of that and tell me how you got into, we're going to get into some rules and some compliance, and that's why we've got Jody on the podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, and um, happy Halloween, everyone. I think that uh, we're all excited to get into some spooky candy and some sugary goods, so I'm um, loving that part of it. But yeah, I've pretty much been in college athletics my whole life. I went to the University of Montana to play golf. Yes, we do play golf in Montana. It's a little chilly, but we do play golf. Um, I was able to play there for four years, got involved with the student athlete advisory committee, which led me to the Big Sky Conference SAC, which then led me to the National SAC, which then opened my eyes to this career in collegiate athletics. Uh, Did an internship with the NCAA, then went and got my master's degree at the University of Arkansas, coached golf there for a little while. I realized that probably wasn't my calling. So I, I actually got into compliance more while I was there, an internship in undergrad, but then uh, during grad school, did some more work and then got my first real-time, full-time job, Robert Morris University uh, and then University of Pittsburgh. So I was in the city of Pittsburgh for five years. Um, And then I went to Louisville and I was there for seven and a half years. Um, And that's kind of how I got connected really to softball. We can talk about that, but, um, and then uh, went to, uh, have been here at Oregon uh, for, yeah, this is my 10th full year I'm starting my 11th football season this fall. Um, So time flies. And yes, that tells you that I'm really old, but I absolutely love it. Uh, and it's it's just a great industry, a great place to be. I love being around the student athletes. I love being involved in sport. Um, and softball is one of my favorites.
0: I love that. And we know that you're a huge softball fan because you do do some off-duty work, I think, at the softball field. What, what, what's what been going on this fall, <laughs> yeah. So back in the day –
1: yeah. So back in the day, I got involved in softball, just doing site rep work for the NCAA. And then I really learned more about the intricacies, the rules officials and the umpires would sit next to me and they would explain nuancy stuff and coaches would sit next to me. So then I started going all the time and just kind of absorbed the world of softball. I will tell you, however, as a golfer, I cannot make contact with the ball. There is, <laughs> I don't have the athletic skills to convert the two. I undercut the softball every single time. So don't ask me to hit anything. Don't ask me to lead off. Don't ask me. None of it. I got again none of it. Uh, but on the other side of that, I learned how to do, you know, keeping score and some communication stuff. And here at Oregon, I'm actually the backup public address announcer. Uh, so every once in a while I get to fill in and call, uh, some of the games and we just, I actually called a couple of fall ball games this fall. So for those of you that know anything about the chaos that can be fall ball, it was really fun keeping track of which player was coming to bat and which one was going into the outfields and what the score was and how many innings we were going to play. So lots of fun, but, uh, you know, that's great softball. It's just fun to get out there, fun to see what you're going to, going to get hopefully in the spring, uh, and what that's going to look like. But yeah, that's my, that's my part-time other job as assigned when they need me kind of duty
0: <laughs> i love that so pa for the ducks uh, if anybody's out there all you Oregon ducks fans uh, go and say hello to jody during the fall but in terms of rules i want to kind of start a big picture here let's talk about how rules are actually made and changed uh and i'm talking about you know through the ncaa and i know you're a big part of that so if you could give our listeners and our viewers our subscribers an idea of how rules are actually changed
1: Yeah, absolutely. So within the compliance side of things, we've got everything that affects financial aid and scholarships, we've got recruiting rules, we've got length of the playing season, we've got amateurism. So all of those different bylaws have uh, effect on the student athletes and coaches what they can do, you know what they have to abide by. Um, And those rules get changed through the legislative process so there's an NCAA legislative process proposals get put into place, they get voted on usually two to three times a year. um, And those proposals are intended to be nationwide. Every once in a while you'll get a proposal that's called an autonomy proposal, which is intended for the uh, power five or power six conferences, depending on who wants to adopt it. Um, And so those are usually a little more broad, a little more lenient um, for those conferences that if they want to adopt those and and the rest of the the division one schools don't. The the process for division two and three is similar, but they usually only uh, change their rules once a year as opposed to division one, which can change their rules anywhere from three to four times a year. And then on the other side, you've got the playing rules. So the playing rules are different than what the, the rules I was just talking about. The playing rules are the things like obstruction and, you know, pitching and, and all of those things. And those usually only get changed once a year, sometimes once every two years, depending on the structure. Um, and so those rules go through a different committee, a sport committee that's entirely dedicated to the playing rules. Um, and those rules, rules changes typically come from coaches association, the NFCA, or uh, the, the conference offices the coaches themselves, uh, you typically push those rules forward for consideration. Sometimes you'll get them from, you know, like the SEC officials or the Pac-12 officials groups that'll suggest maybe this should be something we should consider. Uh, Instant replay, for example, has been something that probably has come through the TVs and through the changes in technology, you know, that that we've started adopting.
0: I love that. So there's, kind of a couple different things here and in terms of rules so softball rules uh it's every two years so uh, when jody's speaking about our rule changes would be pitching uh obstruction expansion of video review all those rules but i want to talk a little bit and start with the recruiting calendar because i know there are a lot of parents and athletes that are just getting uh, into uh, the recruiting process and uh, that the calendar has changed what goes into uh, those rules changes, because I know you're a big part of that, Jody.
1: Absolutely. That's kind of where my, my wheelhouse is, so to speak, um, the things that I'm more of an expert on. Uh, and, and every every sport, has a recruiting calendar. Um, basically, within the recruiting calendar, there are quiet periods, which are the periods where uh, coaches can have in-person contact, but only on the institution's campus. So they can't go off campus during that quiet period. They've got the dead period, which is it's, it completely dead. The only thing that can happen are phone calls and text messages if the student is old enough. And then you've got an evaluation period and then the contact period. And those are pretty self-explanatory, right? Evaluation period means they can go watch. Uh, But they can't have contact, off-campus contact with the recruit or their parents. Uh, And then the contact period is when they can go watch. They can go do an in-home visit. uh, They can actually have a conversation with the uh, coaches, with the student-athlete, with the parents. Now, the new change that just happened a couple of weeks ago is there's actually this full recruiting shutdown. Women's basketball has been doing this for a while. And softball has been pushing to get this uh, put into place. So during what they now call a recruit recruiting shutdown. There's no form of recruiting contact. So no contact, no evaluation, no official or unofficial visits, no correspondence, no emails, no telephone calls, no text messages, nothing. So it it is what it is, right? It's a recruiting shutdown. Um, And it's intended to help the coaches maybe find a little more balance. um, And also maybe the student athletes and the recruits find a little more balance too, to know that, hey, I shouldn't be expecting a call from coach at XYZ school during this period. So they're around the holidays, November 22nd to the 26th, which is usually around Thanksgiving. December 22nd to the 26th, which is usually around Christmas, Um, and then December 31st to January 2nd, which of course is is the new year and the new year celebration. Um, So those are the big periods and that's what when you're waiting for a coach to call you or parents, if you're waiting, why didn't my kid get a call? It might have something to do with that recruiting calendar and when the coaches are allowed to start calling, when they can continue calling, when they have to send stuff in email because that's what's allowed during that period, why didn't I see my coach at this tournament? Well, this tournament didn't fall in the period that they're allowed to go out and and look at your at your daughter play. Uh, so there's there's a, a, a restriction there that the coaches have to abide by.
0: And we can make the uh, recruiting calendar available as a PDF. We'll we'll put that up on the site so just to make sure that everybody has those correct dates. But uh, around Thanksgiving, around Christmas, uh, and uh, the holidays, and new Year's Eve; those are uh, periods which have just recently changed. It was a couple of weeks ago.
1: Correct. Yeah, and it's also publicly available on the NCAA website if um, you need it right away. Um, but yes, those that just changed that recruiting shutdown just changed about two
0: weeks ago. And so that's recruiting calendar. One more thing I want to touch on, and Jody, you've been around to understand the change in recruiting uh, calendar and also uh, in athletes being recruited. When we had early recruiting, uh, you know, a lot of people were upset that, you know, 8th eight, eight, graders were signing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 7th graders were signing. Uh, and now we've moved it back uh, to the junior year. What are some of the positives that you've seen and some of the negatives that you've seen uh, in this uh, moving back to having junior year Absolutely. pretty.
1: Yeah, so over overall across the board, this is a very positive change. There are not very many eighth graders and ninth graders who actually have developed enough to know, A, what they want to do in softball, and B, what they want to do with their schooling. Because I mean, they are student athletes, right? They're they're supposed to be picking where they're going for two purposes, both the academic side of things as well as the athletic side. By not allowing that recruiting to start until the junior year, the coaches, the parents, the student themselves have a better chance of really getting it right and not needing to transfer or not needing to, you know, figure something else out midway into their college career because they just. Things were just too different when they committed in ninth grade versus committing as a senior in high school. Um, we want to make sure that it's the right fit for everybody. There's still the transfer portal, right? There's still going to be students who need to leave for whatever reason. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's a coaching change. Maybe it's whatever it is, Um, but by pushing it back, there really is more chance to develop. One of the examples that I always use, and it's very applicable in this sport, is my understanding is Jessica Mendoza didn't even really start playing softball until her junior year in high school. And so, you know, if you can be as fantastic and wonderful as Jessica Mendoza and not even start playing until your junior year in high school, then you don't need to commit as a freshman or a sophomore. You need to take and enjoy that time in high school, take and enjoy that development um, and continue to be around, you know, your friends and your teenage group. And I mean, these are all phases of life, right? Parents, you know this, right? We all want our kids to enjoy those phases of life and that's one of them. Um, The only negative I think is that there's just, some confusion and and it maybe spurs a little bit of um, inappropriate actions by um, maybe the less scrupulous, um, mm-hmm. and so they try to get in there a little earlier. Um, but the reality of it is, you know, we're going to see more students find the right home. Because they know more about themselves by the time they're a junior in high school. They know more about where they want to live, how far away from home they want to go, what their major might be, what academic program, and really, to be honest, what position you want to play on the field. Because a lot of times in high school, you're still playing multiple positions, trying to figure And when you get to college, you really have to narrow that down a little bit, except for the occasional, you know, really talented utility, whatever it might be. Right. Um, So those are the big things that I see. I I really do overall see it as a positive change, though, for that later um, involvement.
0: And before we get into uh, NIL, I just want to touch a little bit on the transfer portal, because I know we get a lot of questions in regards to the transfer portal. Let's say uh, I'm a kid at UCLA and. I'm in the fall right now, and decide I want to transfer. What is it? What are those implications for me? Can I play uh, next uh, spring in 2024? Uh, for a different squad and, and how would i go about that and i'm just saying you see, like yeah see.
1: for sure no absolutely <laughs> and, and and the reality is it applies to all division one schools not just ucla so there have been a lot of changes in this over the last since 2018 when the when the portal existed softball student athletes have always been able to transfer and be immediately eligible so um, what changed was when the portal, came into being, it really put the control of that transfer into the hands of the student athlete. Now there's still consequences, right? You might not have your aid going forward, something like that if you put your name in the portal, but it really put the control of that into the hands of the student athletes. Um, And so now there's been some tweaks and and we're getting into a better rhythm in my opinion of things. But right now, if a student athlete wants to go into the transfer portal, they have to follow whatever the policy is on their campus, which usually means communication to the compliance office uh, about entering the portal, following the processes, whatever forms, there's an NCAA module that they have to watch. It's like a four minute video that they have to watch. And then their name goes into the portal, but they can only do that in the transfer portal windows. And so for spring sports like softball, there is a December 1 to December 15 window that they can put their name in. However, they cannot be eligible immediately mid-year. So even if they put their name in the portal December 1st to the 15th, and they find a new home, you know, by, let's say, January 8th, when that winter term or spring term starts, they'm not, they're going only going to be able to practice and maybe receive athletics aid if the school has it available, because there's a specific rule in softball and baseball and other sports that you cannot be eligible if you transfer mid-year. Uh, softball worked really hard to get that rule in the last couple of years because it was something that they, you know, were seeing was after fall ball, you know. Know, people were just kind of picking up and going and it was really messing with rosters and coaches you know strategic plans for the next term and what that was looking like so the softball community coaches and especially voted uh, to push through legislation uh, to to make sure that softball student-athletes that transfer mid-year think in practice but they can't compete um, and then once the season is over once the spring term and the in the College World Series has happened usually in early June um, then you can go back into the portal you can actually go into the portal in May once selections are made. Um, And you have a 30 day window within that um, to to just put your name in the portal. Let's be clear, you don't have to know where you're going in that 30 day window, you just have to put your name in the portal during that 30 day window. Uh, And then you, you know, find your new home and you you continue to move on. Uh, But that those are the you have to go into the to the portal during those windows in order to be immediately eligible the next year at your new school.
0: And are there some exceptions to that uh, to that rule? Because uh, there are sometimes that. There are exceptions to to those. Windows. There's
1: always an exception. If you learn anything from me on this podcast, you'll know that the NCAA rules always has exceptions. And if there's not an exception, there's probably a waiver we can file. Now that doesn't mean we're going to win the waiver, but we can file the waiver. Um, but yes, there's two big exceptions that I think will be relevant for your for your listeners and viewers. Is the first is um, that graduate students have a different rule. So for example, if you're good, if you're a senior right now and you're finishing, you know, your four years and you're getting your bachelor's degree in June, um, but you have another year of eligibility left because of COVID or because you were injured or whatever it might be, uh, you could actually put your name in the portal and there's a marking for it to be graduate. So you know that you're still on your team at your current institution, but you're looking to transfer for your fifth year or for graduate school. So there's an exception for that. And then there's an exception for non recruited non scholarship student athletes. So if you maybe you're just a regular student at the school and you decide that you're, you know, you're not playing softball, um, but you want to play softball at the school that you're transferring to. Um, Or maybe you were you came to the school to be a walk on you just, you know, you you earned a spot through a tryout or whatever it is, and then you decided you wanted to transfer. So you can go into the portal at different times uh, under that non recruited non scholarship exception.
0: Great. Thank you for clarifying that, Jody, because I think sometimes uh, that's not uh, widely known as well. And is there a possibility? Is there a waiver that can um, be submitted in terms of playing in the spring? Let's say there's um, extenuating circumstances. Have you? Uh, are you able to file a, a waiver? Let's say in the fall to then play the next spring.
1: Yes, you can always file a waiver, but we don't have a lot of guidance yet on what the grounds for those waivers are going to be. Um, The NCAA has a what's called a transfer directive. um, And so they have to make decisions based on that directive. Usually, you know, extremely difficult family circumstances, extremely difficult medical circumstances are always worthy mitigation to at least test the water and see. So, for example, the student is returning to be within 30 minutes of home to be a primary caregiver for a parent who has cancer or perhaps the student was an out-of-state student at their current institution and a parent loses a job and has, so they need to move home or need to move in-state so that they can pay less in tuition. Those are always worthy of throwing the spaghetti at the wall and seeing if it sticks because we don't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. The rule change for softball about the mid-years is really recent. It's within the last year or so, so we haven't seen a lot of case precedent or weight precedent about how and when those are going to be granted. But yeah, you could take your chance, but you need to go into it. No thinking I have to sit and and just practice with my team. If I transfer mid-year, I'm going to have to sit and just practice with my new team. And then if you get the waiver, you know, that's, that's, you know, gravy, right? It's it's, awesome. excellent. Awesome. On top of it all. Um, But you need to go into the transfer thinking that you're going to have to sit um, and then hope for maybe some luck with the waiver.
0: Got it. Thank you for clarifying that, because it is also a a new rule uh, for softball. So that's uh, Transfer Portal. We went through the recruiting calendar. Now I want to get a little bit into NIL and what you've seen across all uh, sports, uh, and then we can dive in a little bit uh, to softball, because uh, there are some changes that they're looking at, again, uh, legislation-wise. But Jody, uh, can you kind of give me an overarching view of uh, NIL and what changes that you're seeing in terms of name, image, and likeness. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So for the folks that don't know, name, image, and likeness is also a new a new thing, right? So July 1st of 2021, uh, the rules all or were essentially lifted. The NCAA interim policy basically says two things: one, no pay for play. So for name, image, and likeness agreements, it can't be based on games started, uh, hits, outs, pitching, it, it can't have any of those pay for play components to it. Um, and two, it cannot have any sort of recruiting or retention inducements. So for example, the contract can't, or the agreement can't say, you must go to the University of Oregon, or you must go to UCLA to get this, it can't say that. And it can not also say you have to stay at that institution to get that deal. Uh, Those those recruiting and retention inducements cannot be a part of it now, you can always uh, as as long as you can fulfill the terms, even if you transfer. You can keep the agreement that you got at the previous institution, you just have to fulfill the terms of that agreement. Um, So sometimes that's easier said than done, especially if you transferred a long ways away and it requires you to physically be present something like that, so those are the two big. NCAA rules that apply across the board to all division one institutions now here's where it gets tricky some states have state laws that we also have to abide by. Oregon is one of those. Um, And other states have more restrictions than Oregon and other states have less restrictions and no state law at all. There is no consistency across the nation in state laws beyond those two NCAA rules that I talked about that are part of that interim policy. You know, and there's been some other guidance from the NCAA about uh, collectives a little bit. And then there's some guidance about educational stuff that we can do and things like that. But there's there's those two basic rules from the NCAA. And then everything else is subject to state law. Right. So, for example, Oregon state law says you cannot fulfill NIL duties or NIL you know responsibilities, agreements during your team time, right? So can't you can sign a contract with Adidas, even though Oregon is a Nike school. But you can't fulfill the terms of that NIL agreement during your team time, because you know, that, be that would be a major conflict for, for us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and so a lot of a lot of schools and states and whatnot have some sort of basic rule around that, but not everyone. Um, you know, Student athletes come to me all the time and say, well, my friend did this. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's great. They can do that in their state, but you can't do that here because of this state law. So one of the things that we want to make sure student athletes know and understand is that there are state laws. Uh, and that we still have to ab- abide by those. Now, I think our state laws are very appropriate. There are a lot of protections for student athletes. So I'm, I'm really in a good place with the Oregon state laws. But I see the differences in other states and I see how those apply. And so you know, you have to work around those. For example, in the state of Missouri, there is a, a state law that passed that said, if you go to a Missouri college, you can engage in name, image, and likeness during high school. But if you're not gonna go to a Missouri college, then you can't engage in name, image, and likeness during high school. Now, I don't know where that sits and if it's gonna be withdrawn or where it goes, but that's an example of a state law that's enticing students to stay in the state, not necessarily a particular school, but stay in the state, right? So that's something that's different. There are other high school associations That have not that are not allowing high school student athletes to engage in name, image and likeness activity Um, and then because they could be prohibited from competing in their high school association of activities uh, without the proper permission through them. So, again, you have to pay attention to your state, your situation, because I know this broadcast is or this podcast is is very broad. yeah. So make sure that you understand your state and your rules and talk to your high school activities association, whatever that governing body is, to make sure before your student engages in an activity uh, so that they can continue to play. And then if it continues on with them when they come to college, that's allowed most of the time. They can bring it with them. It's not like it has to stop after high school and then you have to start all over again. And now you certainly can do that, uh, but there could be some agreements and NIL deals that would continue on and you would bring those in to college with
0: you. So interesting, Jody, I, And I think it's so important. And I appreciate you bringing this up. It is a state by state basis. It's almost like a case by case basis. Obviously, athletes uh, from various states uh, in, engaging and in recruiting from different schools and in different states. So really important. Is there anywhere an athlete can go? Uh, is it on the NCAA to where they can go and find out the state by state legislation? Or do they actually have to go uh, and just kind of find it through their state
1: yeah unfortunately you're gonna have to just google you know like I, you could google state of Oregon or Oregon uh, name image and likeness state rules um, there's no composite to my knowledge there's no composite uh, location uh, for w- which state has what now I could be wrong on that because I'm I'm hyper focused on the state of Oregon so there could be something out there that I'm just not aware of but um, Google's actually not a bad source or any web browsing I don't doesn't have to be google uh, you know could any web browsing you can go do and search for your state and the rules the other place to just reach out to is every high school activities association state high school activities association has a has a contact button or a contact line you could call up your high school activities association and, and ask uh, for your high school eligibility making sure you don't jeopardize uh, any of that um, so there's there's a bunch of sources but you also want to make sure that you look at sources that are go to the governing like the actual uh, state of oregon for example website, not just a media report about Senate Bill 5 or Senate Bill 1505, for example. You want to get it from the source.
0: Very important. And I think for those athletes that are in the middle of this recruiting process, I think there are a lot of people that are coming on the scene as agents and and wanting to represent some of these athletes. Just make sure uh, that they know uh, what the state law is uh, to these various programs that uh, you're being recruited by because that is a very important point that that Jody is bringing up but it's different across states in terms of and uh, that's a great uh, point about
1: agents really quick, just to say, look, in, in Oregon, you can have an agent for name, image and likeness. Uh, you cannot have an agent for your professional career yet. That still is prohibited by NCAA rules. But in the state of Oregon, that agent has to be registered with the state, whether they're a marketing firm, whether they're a lawyer, whether they're an actual part of like an agency they have to be registered. So you need to understand those state rules too. And, and compliance people like me should be able to help you, you know, at least point that agent in the right direction. But you wanna make sure you're doing your research on those agents, make sure you're doing your research on that marketing firm
0: uh, and only uh,
1: signing agreements that a lawyer has reviewed.
0: Important, very important stuff. Uh, so Jody, just wanna kind of finish with this. I know the NCA continues to press for congressional legislation uh, Con, you know, concerning some of these issues, uh, which is almost like a blanket uh, of of making sure that you know athletes register how much they're receiving in NIL, that their agents are 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 registered uh, with the NCAA, uh, and then contracts uh, for NIL deals. What, in terms of that legislation, what are you seeing moving forward? And do you see uh, the NCAA going to a more blanket approach to have? Um, more policing per se, or more standardized, you know, contracts, and because uh, we said earlier before we started this, it is kind of the wild wild west with a lot of things. Uh, but do you see that becoming more standardized uh, in the future?
1: I think uh, it, I'm hoping that it will have some sort of standardization across the 50 states. But as we've seen, there have been many legislative proposals that have been put out there by various uh, different Congress persons and senators and different things. And they've and unfortunately, none of them have been able to agree on the terms and the conditions and different things because all the states feel differently about this legislation. So I'm not super hopeful that that's going to happen anytime soon. But at the same time, I keep my fingers crossed because I think that that would really be beneficial if we could all kind of opt and be on the same page. Um, Having said that, though, the legislation that you've seen or the proposals that you're seeing maybe out there in terms of NCAA changes uh, are dealing with what you're talking about in terms of disclosures um, and making sure that the information is is readily available. Our student athletes do a really good job, I think, of disclosing their deals through the Open Doors platform and other schools have different platforms that are out there uh, to help the student athletes disclose those deals. Uh, It's just a really hard space to monitor, it's a really hard space for folks to understand, you know, does, does, does saying something about your deal on social media account as disclosing, right? What, is that, what does that definition look like? Um, and so the, the, there's a lot of, I, I've said this many times to other people, we're building the plane as we're flying with NIL because every time we feel like we learn something, it shifts and we learn something new. And so we get a wing built and then, you know, the body of the plane starts to disappear because something else shifts, right? So then we're, we're, we're filling that hole. Um, so there's a lot out there. This is the tip of the iceberg, just for the for the folks that are listening, because there this is really, really just high level and there's so, so much in this name, image and language space. It's actually really cool if you want to dive into it because it's got some really fun spaces to it, but, um, just making sure that you know you're looking into the situation for your student and for the, for your situation um, and make sure you know what what's going on with your your deal as opposed to maybe worrying about nationally for for your your listeners here but yeah, it's a big complicated space it's gonna we could talk for another half an hour just about this space
0: <laughs> well, Uh, We can do that again because I do think we're going to have loads of questions Uh, and for our listeners and our viewers, if you do have questions for Jody, you can submit them and I can, you know, send them over to maybe we can do this podcast again and yeah. uh, make sure that we're answering all your questions. But Jody, uh, I wanna thank you so much for joining us on the D1 self Podcast. Happy Halloween, anything fun happening at the University of Oregon today yeah. on Halloween? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So we do an annual um, athletic department trick-or-treat for just the families of our of our staff members. We have a pretty large staff grouping and, and a lot of little kids running around. So we have just a little internal um, kind of, everybody can go to the office, you can go to the marketing office, you can go to the business office and the little kids walk around and, and pick up some candy from each of those offices it's so fun to see the little ones in their costumes and we've got families that dress up so we got you know the families that come through and the full-blown you know parents and kids and everybody's oh it's so it's just it's super fun to watch them uh kind of just walk around the offices here and have it have a good time so uh yeah halloween's great it's just a, it's fun right everybody i even have my hey boo shirt on I don't <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness
0: my, i love my it.
1: hey boo shirt on under, underneath here to so that we can celebrate <laughs> celebrate the holiday so i need a witch right hat. i don't- yeah, like, oh, just gosh, put a I put, put a, a sheet over did. my head, become a ghost, right? Right? <laughs> Easy costumes. That's what we like these days. Easy costumes, right? Uh, but yeah, no, well. it'll be great. So I hope everybody out there has a safe Halloween. Take care of each other. Uh, make sure you stay safe and 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 go get some candy. It's a great time for year for candy.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm ready for a big Snickers bar. There you go. Uh, I like it. <laughs> well, Jody, thanks so much. Say hi to uh, everybody up there at the Jane, Coach Lombardi, uh, Coach Martyr, uh, Romero, uh, Palomino Cardoza, all of our friends. You got up him. There Good job. Jane, I know off the, off the top of my head, but want to thank you so much for joining me this week on the D1 Softball podcast sponsored by S2 Cognition. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, you can send them to us on all our social platforms, uh, email at info at d1softball.com. And make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, uh, help us out there. Uh, And Jody, thanks so much for joining us this week on the D1 Softball Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you.